You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome back to the Stateside Podcast. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest uh, via the internet, via the information superhighway, if you will. And even if you won't, doesn't matter because he's on the show. Welcome Casey Cavalier from the band The Wonder Years to the show. Thank you. And for those of you that won't, I am coming in extra hot on the information highway right now. Yeah. So get ready. Uh, either tune out or tune <laughs> super in. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. So uh, where are you talking to us from? Where are you located? Well, currently um, in body, I am about 45 minutes outside the greater Atlanta metro area. Uh, where I have recently relocated myself spiritually, mentally, emotionally, who can say, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, right now I'm talking to you from, uh, from Atlanta, um, Very cool. at home. Yeah. And where are you originally from? I grew up just outside Philadelphia and have pretty much up until this past summer been a Philly guy my entire life. Yeah. Cause that's where the band is from, right? That is correct. Yeah, we were all um, in and abouts, but uh, yeah, a bit a bit northeast of the city um, in suburbs and uh, spread out across, you know, like a 20, 30 minute radius around there. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah, well, that's where we all grew up. That's where it, uh, where it all came together, as they say, I guess. <laughs> well, before we begin down your individual journey and path, I've been dying to ask someone from the band for years where you got the band name i know that's such a like phoned in journalist question but i i've just ne i have never heard the story you know and it's times like these that i wish there was a better story to tell you james oh okay quite frankly uh and you would be correct in assuming that you are perhaps not the first person to ask that question uh and definitely not the first person to get this answer from me which is to say that when you're starting out a band in the way that we did which was with not a whole lot of longevity in mind and more or less just uh you know forged out of like a post high school summer afternoon uh boredom kind of thing um and for uh, a bit of a laugh and, and a bit of fun with a a couple guys from a bunch of different bands that were all friends. You don't put a lot of time into the name. You don't you say. You just don't. You don't say. Yeah. You put time into uh, probably mostly everything but the music and or like career path thought about it. Um, mostly just into having fun, which I will say was probably for us in some ways part of the reason where maybe now, and I've talked about this uh, before, but had some some effect on the fact that, you know, it's always the band that you don't think is going to be the one that uh, ends up catching you by surprise. We were all in a ton of bands. I'm sure you know a lot of the guys that um, that you work with and, and manage and plenty of other uh, people that have been in bands and have made that their career path. Nine times out of 10, that's not their first band. That's not the walk on hit a homer uh, kind of thing. And that, I mean, that wasn't the story with Wonder Years. We were all in other bands and uh this was the one that was just a little bit of a of a side gag thing that boy oh boy when you look at it 15 years later man you're just like i guess we could have spent five more minutes workshop in the name but also it in some way feels 
a bit fitting. Uh, I don't know, um, maybe with uh, a decade and a half plus behind it. So yeah, I don't know. That That's about it. That's all I got on that. Yeah. Has the band ever got hit up from legal, from whoever put out the television show? No, I will say, legally speaking, uh, we have been hit up by other entities about this early on. And again, like I said, it, it was this was so early on that it wasn't even a thing that it really wasn't worth anybody's time, you know. And uh, and as it turns out in on the I mean, I, I shouldn't speak too uh, indefinites here. Uh, I don't want to rope myself into like a really unfavorable next couple of months uh, for some uh, for some reason, just based on what I say right now. But uh no, generally speaking, I think when it comes to like trademark law and um, it falls more under, um, you know, television, uh, music, you know, are different um different industries. So the way it yeah. breaks down is, yeah. you know, there's not actually an infringement on that. But again, like I said, the ship had kind of sailed. So now um, it's interesting. I'm sure our Google hit results are probably up with the reboot of that uh, oh, um, right. series that I that I know nothing nothing about for legal purposes. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it just it, it was never really a thing. Um, I guess there may have been a bit another uh, wonder years or two at some point uh, in the lineage that maybe did have some issues and trouble with it. But I don't know what to tell you other than we have not received anything. I hope we don't. I'm sure like, I mean, at this point in, it'd be like, well, that's kind of on you. Yeah, like, totally, uh, you know, totally. uh, yeah, you know, I mean, you guys we've also kind of in. established a thing here, uh, I guess, but also I don't want to challenge it. So who knows? <laughs> well, speaking of the band, and I don't want to just talk about the band because we have so much to talk about with you specifically, but I, I did just uh, see on the Wonder Years band Instagram account, y'all put up some dates for Christmas time. That is correct. Kind of December area. So that's super exciting, man. Yeah, it really is exciting. Uh, you know, um, it almost feels surreal, like back, uh, I mean, for the last decade plus going in and out of record cycles and touring much more consistently, that kind of thing. We, you, you always know it's coming, right? Um, you were actually just speaking with our booking agent uh, right before we came online here. So, <laughs> you know, you know exactly how these things get planned from the from the industry side of things. And it's not like a, you wake up and you're like, hey, you want to go on tour? Cool, let's put it together. And then by the end of the week, you put you know that picture out on Instagram. Y- usually you see things coming a lot quicker down the pike. Uh, however, obviously, shocker here, COVID and the raging global pandemic the last year and a half has kind of complicated that a little bit. So this was a much more celebratory post on our end to finally solidify and feel confident and comfortable enough to put that out there into the world. Um, That was a big step for us because we always we are very huge proponents of um, trying to look out for everybody that is involved uh, all the way down the chain of people that make shows and touring happen. Uh, And then also first and foremost for uh, that being our fans of which I know every band says this, but we really do have the fucking best fans in the world that are like the most I've never, it'll, it constantly, constantly overwhelms me with the kind of like caring and compassion that we see come from people with feedback about whether it's posting something or just, um, you know, nice messages that we get or, you know, face-to-face stuff. It shows it's, uh, it's crazy humbling. I don't know what we did to deserve it, but it sure as hell makes all of the struggle getting there and the ups and downs and challenges of working in this industry 
more than worth it when you see that. So yeah, it was um, awesome. It was a really exciting announcement for us to make, much more so than the typical tour or show announcement. <laughs> yeah, oh, I can only imagine. I'm, I'm sure that's a big deal. You know, it's funny you say that there's such a supportive uh, audience because I, I just saw the Pure Noise Records tour roll through Los Angeles. I was there last week. I think you and I talked about this, and I saw For Your Strong, Real Friends, Just Friends, Bearings. Oh, and, and then State Champs headline. And it was great, man. Like that genre, and you guys are clearly a part of that larger community, pop punk, uh, you know, whatever you call it, uh, easy core, whatever the hell you want to call it. But it, it's it's a nostalgic genre. And by by default of the, the sound you guys put out, sonically, it, it makes people... I don't know, man. There's a, there's an energy at those kind of shows that make people just so happy to be there, and that's what I felt. It wasn't just like, yeah, aggro. I'm I'm finally out at a rock venue. No, it was like, dude, we're all this together, and everyone's fucking high fiving, and it felt so great. And I know that your band has always brought that kind of energy. Um, I'm a huge fan of your band for for specifically those kind of reasons. Oh well, thanks. I appreciate it. And yeah, I mean that pure noise. Uh, tour is killing it and Jake Round uh, who owns Pure Noise we've uh, known all of those people so long that work with him and have helped him build up uh, such a cool thing to see that tour go out at you know as a Pure Noise tour with such a cool roster like you said that does so many things not least of which is put on display such a cool community of the fans that it's bringing out and and how um, how they interact and you know specifically in the like punk and pop punk world of which you know there are many and now endlessly repeating and appearing subgenres every day it's hard to keep up but it's also super exciting and that's what makes tours like that interesting because i always you know look at the bottom of the bill and see hey what's coming next what's interesting what you know and we try to obviously do that as well you know with taking out bands that, that we're excited about but that top to bottom, it was like, man, uh, they they definitely probably had a couple, had another bill's worth of uh, pure noise acts and bands in that world that could have been a great fit and that those fans would have loved to see. But yeah, man, the live show, um, the live show approach and energy of what all of our bands do in that world is, I think, why a certain type of person gravitates towards those shows and the community at which, uh, you know, gather uh, around that, that type of music. I mean, it's really true and it's cathartic in its own way. It's emotional. It is energy. It's, it's engaging in a way that makes you want to physically move, which to me, I mean, what, you know, we'll, I could have endless conversations about this from like the creative brain standpoint and what art does to people and how it is ultimately, uh, the goal of art and music in general to elicit a reaction from people. That's right. And I think there's no better way to display that than going to a show like like that tour or, yeah, hopefully, you know, that would be our goal. That's what I love about playing in our shows in our community is it really is so responsive and I watched bands when I was younger be like, this crowd is the, like, you're the fucking best. You're our favorite city to play, you know, and, and everybody's like, cool, you say that every time. And it wasn't until years and years that I started seeing every city, every place we play in the world has their own 
identity, their own personality, you know, their own way of respecting the performance, but interacting with the performance. And it's it's been crazy wild to see. But yes, the one uh, the one consistent uh, for this genre, especially. And I think a lot of the punk tinged side of like music and rock, a lot of it has to do with like, uh, cool, we're, uh, you know, cast aside or like maybe a little different, right? Not, you know, not playing on those tropes too heavy, but like it should be a place, a safe space where you feel like you can be you, not be judged for it and be empowered and lifted up for it sometimes uh, metaphorically and sometimes straight up physically, um, you know, by other people to crowd surf you to the front and and whatnot. And I, I love that. I love seeing it. Yeah. I'm so excited to see it again. I mean, we had a small little taste of it playing a, playing a hometown festival at sad summer uh, in Philly a couple weeks ago. And man, what a, what a tease, what an emotional oh, time I bet. for, you know, after almost two years to play a show like that again in your hometown. That was the all time low festival. Yeah, yeah. Sad summer, which we did, uh, you know, uh, in the first year of, um, you know, did uh, did the majority of that tour. And it was such a great time. And it's so cool to see them building kind of exactly what you're saying, which is a festival and a bill based around that community that is so much love and so much of a good time and so much, you know, positive energy, which is incredible. Yeah. Well, we I typically start with this. Um, we'll, we'll be like a Quentin Tarantino movie, and we'll kind of go all, all over the place timeline wise. But let, let's assume that there's people out there that don't know a whole lot about you. You know, people that listen to this podcast vary from audio engineer dorks uh, <laughs> all the way to you know just entrepreneurs in general. And that's the idea of the podcast: is to bring on people doing their own thing in their own way. And I, you know, kind of reverse engineer how you got here. So can you just give the quick uh, elevator pitch, the, the, you know, two minute bio on who you are. Uh, obviously you play in the band, the wonder years, but you do a lot more. You are a businessman. You are a producer. You have audio engineering chops. I know you mentor people and you do a lot of stuff and you're very organized for a band guy, which I find really refreshing. You know, when we were setting up this this podcast, you know, you had a calendar app going, you're like, send me a Google calendar link. It's great to have that. Uh, most, most band people or, or artists in general are just nightmares of scheduling. So with that out of the way, yeah, just uh, g- give kind of the, the quick bio to the people listening. Yeah. Well, um, such a cool, uh, and diverse, array of listeners that you've described, but also uh, everybody that shares, I think that um, common thread of the creative bug, you know, shout out to all of my right brain creatives and also shout out to all of my left brain, like um, systems uh, and logistics and organized people. Because like you said, and I, I, I don't, I uh, really appreciate that uh, compliment too, because it is far and away, not the way, um, the career and or me as a person started out. It's a, it's been a long road and it's, I mean, by no means done, but that does mean a lot. And I think, uh, it's been a fun and exciting thing to grow that end of it too. And I was actually, uh, I listened to, um, 
a phenomenal podcast for creatives. Anybody, uh, creative pep talk is incredible. And I, I love what Andy does on that show. So shout out to that as a fellow creative who also talks about a lot of, uh, the integration of both sides of the coin and being organized as well as a creative, but yeah, man. So, um, like you said, uh, this, it all kind of started. I mean, we won't go as far back as, you know, we won't go hyper pre wonder years, but suffice to say kid living, uh, Philly suburbs, uh, and I mean, it started out technically on trombone in fourth grade. Nobody needs to go back that far, but it's relevant to know that, yes, I do have a checkered pass. I ended up playing in Scott cover <laughs> bands in high school, which effectively led me to. Hey, I love Scott. Uh, I, I'll admit it. Scott makes me so happy. Not all of it, but the good Scott, man, there, there is a time and place for it. My, my wife always likes to bust my balls about it. It's like a sunny day. I put on Scott, man. That just makes me feel good. Listen, at this point in my life, there are no guilty pleasures. Either you do like good something you. or you don't. Amen. And, and just, I think anybody should own it. And that also took me a while to get yeah, to, right? Yeah. So yes, that was that was the origin of that. That kind of wound up into, you know, jumping around in a ton of bands throughout high school, figuring out what the fuck you like, right? Which is uh, at what high school is a a great and also horrifying space for depending on where you're at. And for me, it was somewhere in the middle. Uh, it was not overly pleasant, but it was not, uh, horrific, uh, just in that sweet spot that I could find some people that were in other bands and that I was going to high school with uh, that had some similar interests and and wound up with the Wonder Years. So then post-college, where I, I actually went to Drexel in Philadelphia and um, majored in... Uh, the business side of music actually, which is, you know, where maybe, uh, some of the organizational and functionality, uh, components uh, were, were drilled in a little bit, but truthfully, and I, as I'll say later, uh, we'll speak to, am a huge proponent of education and bettering yourself and educating yourself in a lot of areas. However, uh, it's not really until you kind of get out on the road and you're kind of, you know, thrown into the pond and have to just figure it out. I think that's the truly the best way to learn with whatever you're doing. And, um, you manage a lot of producers, a lot of audio guys. They're probably the ones where if you ask any of them, much like myself, that career path is just, Hey, are you excited enough and interested enough to spend like every waking hour of your day figuring it out, you know, and being bad at it for a really long time and being less bad at it. Truth be told, that's what kind of happened with Wonder Years. It was it was not an overnight thing. It's still like it's been a slow and steady thing, which is in, in our industry, in our genre too, it, a lot of times like somewhat somewhat rare, at least um, from the standpoint of what a lot of people ha have kind of told us and especially to do it with um, what seemingly, you know, for the most part is a is an all original uh, lineup. You know, it's been the, it's been the same people the whole time. And uh, so, um, you know, from there, from Wonder Years, obviously, that's been the primary, uh, you know, the primary journey, so to speak. That's been the catalyst for a lot of the travel, a lot of the the learning uh, and growth and um, and exploring this entire industry, right, um, from the inside out. As a songwriter and a part of that band that helps write those songs and collaborate with other people uh, and demo things, the natural extension uh, is you start doing it at home. You start figuring out, well, I got to find a more efficient way of writing songs, right? Uh, I got to find a more efficient way of communicating my ideas that I have in my head uh, and bringing them to the band and, and helping shape what each record feels like and 
that led me to, uh, you know, what I'll say is the next phase of it where I was like, hey, I, I guess I've kind of developed a skill set that I really enjoy, which is taking what I hear in my head and figuring out how to reverse engineer that in an audio realm using gear and uh, how to capture and and sculpt and shape sounds. And as a guitar player, I think that's sometimes maybe a little easier than, you know, say a drummer or singer. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. You know, I grew up playing drums and bands and I always found that to be the case that the guitar players are always naturally more inclined to audio production, audio engineering just by default. Because you're right, you have so much more gear you have a lot of cables to plug in and <laughs> you know this this pedal eats that pedal and then it goes to the amp and it's ugh. and drummers just sit down and hit things really hard with sticks so i mean <laughs> like just doing this with this microphone and a, a little interface and a laptop that's enough for me that's as that's as much as i get into that world right and that you know and it's funny that you say that and it, that's not to say that there aren't drummers that aren't if you get a drummer that has an interest in audio you've got a dangerous weapon truly and, I, and they're some of my favorites one of the guys i manage danny reich he, he's more of an indie rock uh, film score guy but he's a killer drummer and you know he's toured the world playing in a band called other lives if you haven't heard them uh, rad indie band that's his secret weapon casey is that he's a rad organic musician but he's also audio engineering just wizard so there's nothing he can't do and you know what what i found too and just as a quick aside from the like origin story of casey uh the drummers you it's like the, i love the the old joke it's like you can't teach height that you know oh, like yeah. if you're an mb right it's like it's really tough to just teach that innate sense of groove and is something moving me emotionally and is it is something getting in the way, right? Is it is it not fully translating? And that to me is how, uh, you know, maybe we'll get into this a little bit later or save it for another day. But that to me is the like the true eyes closed editing drums test or, you know, whatever you're doing is like, I think drummers have, if you're a good drummer, you have that secret weapon because you know inherently from moving your body and playing an instrument so physically that you know, uh, I mean, I talk about, I work from, I do a lot of like editing, mixing production from like a standing desk nowadays because I, I was talking to a client the other day and I'm like, honestly, you know, when I know something's working, if I'm trying to like build a tempo map and do some pre-pro, when I just stop thinking, stop clicking, and I start dancing yeah. and I start just like, yeah. then I know it's there. It's the same way with the mix where it's just like, I'm no, I'm no longer listening or hearing things distract me. I'm just a fan of it, even though I've been at it for like 12 hours. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is. And drummers have that innate ability to know when something is hitting and locked in like that on an emotional level. So I love it. And I, that is the thing where I do admittedly wish that uh, three, uh, like half of the six members in my band uh, who actually are or are were at one point drummers. <laughs> so you can imagine what the pre-pro conversations and uh, drum part refining workshop portions of our uh, writing sessions are like. It's quite fun. And I've learned a lot from them, honestly. And, and just the conversation, it's a language all, all of its own. That is a strong part of my journey, too, because I was surrounded by a lot of really incredible creatives, not only in that band capacity, but then who we've had the, you know, the privilege and pleasure of working with and touring with, you know, some of the the best producers, artists, songwriters and performers in this genre or any, honestly. And you talk about Scott's. I mean, like 
one of our first support tours was Streetlight Manifesto. Dave Shapiro can tell you about that. Uh, I mean, that was a huge one coming from like myself, my bass player. We were in a ska cover band. <laughs> that was the that was pretty much like the first thing that we played live shows. I bet that was a huge deal for you guys. Yeah. So that was huge. Um, not only as admittedly like somewhat of a, you know, band and drumline nerds, but, you know, just people that appreciated the like horns in rock, but also the musicality of like that crazy fast upbeat stuff, but then guys that can just like shred their faces off and do it super tight, right? So to go uh, on tour and see them do that every night is super inspiring and only ignites a fire, but also (laughs) pushes that taste threshold of like, oh, now I really see where the bar is. Okay, we've got a lot of work. So we were lucky in that way. And that's when I, you know, you start realizing that that has a lot to do with your own personal growth when you see that, watch that, and you know, oh, I can be, people can be better. They can be that good. They can be that tight. They can be that engaging with a performance and, and interacting with a crowd. And, you know, so, um, so that kind of led me to trying to sew that all together, I think, into what I had learned across all of that, right? Making records with the band, um, writing, performing, and trying to build the band, you know, once we knew we were like, hey, this is what we really want to do. We really, you know, really want to grow this and explore this uh, as a career. And, you know, you kind of wake up one day and it doesn't it doesn't happen, you know, just like a light switch. But, you know, eventually um, the journey takes you to, hey, I remember what it was like when I was really young. And there were a couple couple people that I looked up to that actually kind of like gave me the time of day from a creative standpoint and said, hey, that song you're writing, it's like, you can't sing, you can't play, you're 14, but honestly, not a bad hook. And extrapolating that to, hey, now I can turn around. And there are a lot of things that uh, when I started producing and working with some local bands out of my studio, True Level, uh, which is right outside of Philly and Blackwood, New Jersey. And, you know, the next question would be like, cool, we, you know, we put this song together, put this record together, this EP together. Now I'm unsure where I go with that. It's incredible how empowered independent artists nowadays and that, you know, it feels like the DIY mindset and mentality is kind of everywhere. Um, and so much so that it almost feels like, Hey, you're stupid if you don't do this all on your own. Um, sometimes. And I looked at that and I was like, at what point did that shift for you, Casey? Like at what point being in, in a band, did you start knowing that you're just going to have to start doing this a little bit more yourself and take that part of it seriously. Well, for Wonder Years, I think that was always just kind of baked into the DNA, honestly. Some of our first tours, our, our singer Dan booked and just, you know, took the initiative. If there wasn't a venue um, or there wasn't a place to book, you know, we called up a local VFW or, you know, he did or, you know, one of our friends and said, hey, can I rent it out? Said, well, you need to be 18 and you need the permits. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely 18. Yeah, um, right. no, problem. no problem. Yep, got all that. Sure. Uh, 100%, don't check on it. Dude, I used to book tours when I was like 17 on the phone, pre-internet. I don't think bands today fully understand. Uh, I don't know what how old you are. I'm 38. So, you know, I come from like pre-MySpace era, calling venues, lying to them that we're going to bring 200 people. It's like... right. Dude, it was nuts. Like GPS, you have to, uh, no GPS, no iPhone, no maps. You'd you'd have to print out the map quest on paper and like, this is where we're going. And I mean, it was nuts. It was crazy. So I love that so much. Dan Podhast, who uh, is an incredible solo performer um, and artist in his own right, was opening up 
solo on that uh, Streetlight Manifesto tour that I just mentioned. And he's been at the game for a while. And he regaled us with he, with sometimes much of the same way, but even more so where yeah. he was like, honestly, back in the day, you straight up just like found your way to the next city. You rolled into town, found a payphone and called up the number that you were given for the promoter and said, hey, yeah, I'm at the payphone outside of the 7-Eleven on the corner of X and Y. And you're like, okay, cool. I'll be there in 10 minutes and you can follow me back to the venue. Like that is like putting it in perspective like that versus now. Now we're just like, yeah, no, 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 shut up. I have I have the GPS or I have Google Maps already up. It's crazy. And that's just logistics of touring, but also imagine growing a band. You know, I've heard so many stories of Dave Grohl talking about early Scream tours prior to joining Nirvana. And it's it's just literally get in a van and go. And there's no Instagram, there's no MySpace, no Facebook, Twitter, no way to grow online because there is no online. The only way bands got big was through word of mouth and radio and that was it crazy so nuts and that was so um not exactly our our story or the origin but yeah i mean that lays the groundwork for saying hey take your own fate into your hands what can i do what you know what can i do myself because you would have that's my point is that's not your story like how, how old are you? you're what you must be early 30s i would imagine that is correct yes we're, we're not far off we're yeah we're in the same world yeah yeah and like I think that's my point is whether you had the internet or not, you treat it the same, you would have done the same thing. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm happy to say that this episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a service that musicians use to put music into online stores and streaming services. These include iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, even TikTok, and many, many more. With DistroKid, you can quickly and easily distribute your music for as little as $19.99 a year. And check this out. You keep 100% of your earnings, and you get unlimited uploads for one yearly fee. And to make things even easier, you can split the earnings between you and your bandmates. So when that pesky little bass player of yours gives you a hard time about not giving him his share, tell him to relax and say, DistroKid's got this. So do yourself a favor and get started today. Go to distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash stateside and get 7% off your first year's membership. So let's fast forward a little bit. So at what point did you start doing audio production yourself, audio engineering, learning. I mean, I see all this equipment behind a keyboard, a bunch of guitars, microphones. You're pretty savvy with that stuff. At what point did that kind of happen for you? I think slowly but surely you make enough records around people that, you know, have walls full of uh, plaques and Grammys and and do it for a living. You get uh, continually more inspired, you know? Um, Well, I will say, though, not every person in a band does that. Uh, you know, especially drummers for whatever reason, <laughs> but especially, you know, people that's enough for them. Just writing, being in a band, tracking at a studio, going on the road. They don't need to necessarily have a bunch of stuff at home or learn how to do that trade themselves. That's right. But you clearly are a little bit different. And you're right about that. Some people are much happier fully immersing themselves in the live performance and interactive nature of it. Right. I started to look at it as in the same way someone might take up a hobby of sketching 
painting, our drummer took up painting, right? And became quite good at it and incredibly so uh, on the road, actually. Um, and I began to look at it as uh, another extension of that where you can have an idea and the sound recording end of things was just another canvas uh, to take a lot of those ideas and extrapolate on that. Clearly, as we talked about, as a guitar player, you're already a little bit uh, primed with using effects and manipulating signal. So uh, the jump isn't as far for uh, for some other instrumentalists. But I think it, it came down to, hey, I've got to, you know, I have this idea for, you know, this song, this this hook. Let me let me show it to the band. And each time it kind of gets further and it's like, well, how can I really drive home the fact that I want this to be huge, right? And how can I really, um, you know, drive home the fact that the whole juxtaposition of this little section is all about the dynamics, yeah, right? Exactly. And is all about, you know, the little nuance here or here and selling it. And eventually it becomes a fulfillment all of its own just to chase those little um, sonic things that you hear and get inspired by on the records that you love. And in the same way that anybody uh, playing guitar in a band now or that's roughly our similar age probably started out trying to learn a Green Day song off of, you know, like, uh, and uh, with like, uh, like three power chords, you're doing the same thing. You're trying to hear something, emulate it and then recreate it. Right. Um, so I realized that it was the same thing. Uh, and I was being inspired by a lot of the records that I grew up listening to, of course, but that when it came to, uh, a production and or song or anything, I was hearing something and then trying to go recreate a, not so much tangible, but a, an audible representation of how huge or larger than life that could sound. So I grew up get be, becoming really infatuated with a lot of those records too. And, and even a more, uh, you know, sometimes modern style production, but more so than anything, things that captured what I said, the emotion of like, you don't know why, but it's just too good to turn off kind of thing and, and trying to figure out what that was and what did that, you know, and it's, there's not, there's never one answer to that question as I unfortunately learned. And, and how, how often are you, uh, working with clients, like uh, mixing other people's songs or ideas and how often are you producing and mixing in general? Well, with the last two years, especially, it's given me a lot of time to bring in other people and, and allocate a lot more time. So right now, you know, while we're not touring um, and, uh, you know, when we're not necessarily writing or concocting the next, you know, um, batch of show announces or or all those things. That's that's the daily gig for me at home and or I, I end up, you know, learning how to by way of necessity again, where there's a will, there's a way the pandemic, learning how to try to recreate some of these tangible feelings from a collaborative standpoint, you utilizing Zoom. It's not perfect. Everything's, you know, nothing is. Uh, you can't replace being in the same room a, as a band trying to, you know, write a song or craft it or dial in exactly what you're trying to hear. But there are other ways around it. So I've started doing a lot of that um, where, uh, you know, that's what most days look like if I'm not mixing something that I've already tracked at some point, then I'm, you know, having a series of calls where we're going through details about a future production and or working through steps of pre-production. And you're doing that via Zoom mostly? Well, the, the talking interfacing where I can't be in the same room as as some of my clients for sure. Got it. You know, and uh, it comes with its challenges, but being able to communicate ideas, like I said, it, it kind of all goes back to, hey, I'd love to show my band what this guitar 
riff could sound like in context and how and how big it could sound or how um, beautiful it could sound. It's a bit of the same thing. You know, you're, you're just taking other songs and ideas from other people trying to understand the identity of the project that they're working with. And sometimes, you know, trying to utilize the strength of seeing it from the outside to be like, hey, what you're really on to is is this. Let's let's bring that out, you know? Yeah. And so where do people find you to do that? Like, where, where are you on the internet? Do people hit you up on Instagram for the most part? Or how does that happen? Yeah, I, it happens organic. Sometimes it's through uh, friends or just fans of the band, you know, anybody that's interested, obviously, you know, can go to my website. It's the great thing about having a band. It's a gift, Casey. You know, there's a few guys I manage who play in prominent bands and also produce and mix on the side and, or they were from a band at one point and now all they do is produce and mix, but it's, it's a gift. I would take advantage of it. It's, it's something that a lot of producers starting out don't have. If they were never in a prominent band, and they're trying to grow a discography and a client base just producing and mixing, it's going to take a lot longer. It just will. It's great, man. Yeah, you know, that fact is not lost on me, if for nothing else, that, um, like I said, and maybe this takes us to, like, the final phase of, of some things that, I, that I'm getting into as well, but that the experience that a lot of that, either making the records and going through the process of that, but also seeing it from the inside as a band member, as someone that tours, that goes out on the road, and has these conversations of a band that, for a, a large portion of our career, was either managing or co managing our ourselves and, and how we thought about um the entire band from a business sense and creatively uh you know i'm really lucky and and still very thankful that i ended up with uh such close friends and also such really talented uh other individuals for in, in terms of you know musically speaking but also from a business sense and from a motivation and that are so driven truly um and so i i know i'm I'm lucky in that sense however i will say you know that there are a lot of other people that have been in very successful bands that it, it, it's not a one for one you know it's not like a it's not a given that a, hey if you were uh in the successful as we said it's like in a successful band that you will be good at x y and z as well That's uh, right. it takes work man and um um, and it's still, you know, I'm still, and I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure every guy or gal or person that you manage, uh, or that you talk to on a daily basis will still tell you no matter how long they've been doing it. I know I'll have a conversation with all of them. And within a couple minutes, we'll get to those little, uh, this mix is just what is wrong with this snare drum? What is wrong with it? You know what I mean? You still fight those battles every day. You just, you just learn to show up for them, you know? As much as I, I just got saying it's a, it's a gift, it's a, it can also be a curse, you know, because people now, it's not a one-to-one example, but it, it's similar to like being say, the kid of like a famous director and now you're trying to be an actor. People go, well, you're Steven Spielberg's son. So are you really that good of an actor? And it's like, well, you're just the guy from the Wonder Year. So you just, what, you just get to produce big bands just out of the gate? It's like, no, now I have to prove myself even more because people think that. And people think that it's just, a. I just walked in here and I get all these clients. It's like, no, you, you still have to, every other producer, every other mixers, they're all looking at you, judging your mixes, 
and probably extra hard because you are Casey from the Wonder Years. You know, I'm sure of it. And it's a chore in itself trying to put that out of your mind. Uh, that's probably like step one is getting past the imposter syndrome because there's a lot of people oh that are God. incredible that are writing songs, sending me great stuff, sending me like rough mixes. I'm like, they're like, please don't like it's, you know, it's not a good like, uh, like it's not mixed or whatever. I'm just like, shut up. I shut see up. what you did. You're I'm a like, punk band. You're, yeah. you're way ahead of, you know, what you're saying. Give yourself credit. Like you put a lot of time into that and that's maybe sometimes the difference between me some of the people that you manage and everybody else that's doing it on just like a hobby based level is just like being able to show up and have the confidence you're no one's ever gonna know everything and it of course you can't because every song is going to be inherently different it's just about developing a mindset and a system for trying to look at things uh in a in a creative fashion and bring right. out that you know that's right and that's that when i truthfully when i finally like realized that that's when i was like oh now i really want to go chase this because i realize i don't have to know all the answers oh right Interesting. I like that. I just need to know how to get in touch with, you know, with my gut and get in touch with what my my inherent sense of, you know, good, bad, ugly and where to, you know, where to kind of go and what questions to ask about it. Because quite frankly, that's the other thing that, yes, I may um, have spent quite a bit of time making records with Wonder Years, but even bands that might come to me because they enjoyed those records or of my like role in the making of those records, their band's not going to sound just like Wonder Years. Their band's going to be made up of an amalgamation of other bands from all over, just like ours was, you know? So the goal is not for me to, great, here's the formula to make a Wonder a record that sounds exactly like a Wonder Years record. No, I would be the first to tell you, you should not do that. I will be the one that says, hey, what are the other influences? Let's narrow them down and see what kind of recipe and make that really good stew that kind of simmers and then see what it starts to what it starts to bring to the surface. And that's, I think, when I started kind of understanding that is what in the conventional sense, like a producer, you know, can really do and really um, offer you. And this is a lot of our experience with working with guys like Steve Evitz and Joe Ciccarelli and, you know, and Phil Niccolo. I mean, you, you get the sense of it's none of them go in afraid that they won't make a good record. They are going in there trying to figure out how to make the right record for that band and what that is at that time in place for that band. Which is a huge difference, by the way. That's a huge distinction. And it takes a long time to get there. It does. And and I, I mean, and again, that's for me, that's what's exciting is when you're like, oh, it's it's either a succeed or fail. It's like, no, like you can wholly succeed even if, and how many records were complete successes from the artist standpoint, from the producer standpoint, from the label standpoint and went literally nowhere a lot, you know? And so when I started realizing that, it's just like you can chase all of these different iterations of success, but uh, from a production and, and someone being in the artist standpoint, it's like, all I want to do is give the artist and whatever band I'm working with the best version of what they're able to come up with that is uniquely theirs in that time and space and maybe try to push them creatively a little bit to get where I think they might be headed, but don't know it yet, you know? Yes. Love all that. I'd like to move on a little bit to some kind of broader you know, you, you've been doing this for a long time. You've been in the band for 15 years. And as you mentioned, you've been in bands before that. You're producing, writing, mixing, 
Now, and also, you, the other thing that a lot of people kind of forget is is that this is a business. You you're putting out a product for a market at a set price, and people are buying it, whether it's tickets to your show or or the record you put out. So, with that said, this is a music industry, and I think people forget that. What are your thoughts on the industry today? Do you feel optimistic about it? Do you have concerns? Yeah. What what generally, how do you feel about it? Wow. That's a hefty question, James. It's a big boy, one. Oh, boy. Yep. Um, have fun with you, that. And you know it, don't you? Wow. Uh, well, yeah, where to begin? The idea of optimism is also kind of, it will continue. It's it's going to it's gonna keep going and keep evolving. One thing I think that I, I, I love that excites me now is something that I always think about when I was when I was really young and was a kid. And my dad was a musician as well. And uh, he, uh, you know, some of the stuff that I would listen to that was like, you know, in the mid 90s, late 90s, um, you know, when things started, you know, going into like the grunge and then started getting into like the weird, like new metal system of a down corn world. Right. Yeah. Um, and hot topics really started taking off. Uh, I remember like him, high school, you know, listening to a lot of that and and having I'll say some opinions on it that were not exactly glowing. I remember the idea of at one point, I think he kind of broke the wall and he got it um, because he was a musician. And he did too. It was just like, this was the same way that my grandmother viewed all of the like classic rock bands in the seventies right. that That's he right. idolized. You know, it's, it's straight up. It's the devil's music. Led Zeppelin and, and the doors and the who, and even the Beatles people for flip, they're flipping out when those bands came out. Right. And I think it's a, I, I, you know, I've started to boil it down to, and in a lot of ways, just the progression and growth and evolution of anything. Yeah. Um, you always see a large portion of the culture and or society society that become entranced with the fear of the unknown. And I think I will be good if I wake up every day and I will be optimistic every time I see something that I don't get that's having a large wave of success because it makes me curious. I want to be well curious well instead said. of... Um, you know, trying to think of a bunch of ways of why I'm upset that that is so. I want to look at it as it's the reality. Why? What are they doing? They must be doing something. Yes, dude. Every time there's something going on out there that is blowing up and I don't get it, I think, thank God. Thank God. Because that, that's right. What, that's all this ever is. It just repeats itself over and over and over. And you know what? Some of that stuff, try as I might, I might never get. And you know why? Because Doesn't I'm matter. not supposed to, because that's it, why it's working. That's because right. Because I don't get it or because this other person doesn't get it and only these people get it. Yep. And that is that is so much of it as well in terms of what music does culturally. It is infused into the sense of tribe, which yep. is uh, like born out of survival, right? So in that sense, in terms of the broad... Uh, the broad look forward of the industry as a whole, there's still people that are doing that every day that are making things that scare our parents yes. and confuse the hell out of everybody, out of so many people that uh, the majority of people that hear it. Right. And as long as that keeps being the case, we're fine. We're okay, good. So, our, so we'll I keep agree going. with you. You know, there's, I, I, and I love that. I agree. I find that very hopeful and optimistic. 
And again, I agree because there's there there's a kid or a group of kids, whatever, in a basement in the Midwest somewhere, coming up with some of the weirdest, bizarre music that that's gonna blow everyone's minds, and we might not get. And I can't wait to hear it. So that's more of a cultural. Thank God that artists will always be artists, and human nature will continue to be human nature. But what about the industry? What about profitability? What about you being able to pay your bills as guy in band or girl in band? Do you think that that's something that you're hopeful about? Right. That is the flip side of that coin, as one might say. I think that's going to change too. I mean, just like with anything else in my li- in our lifetime, James, right? When I was a kid, I remember my dad got into um, a lot of like very early on when the, the dot-com boom was happening, right? Like everybody was like, oh my God, web pages, web design, you know, it's like things are, we are at a point where things are moving so exponentially quickly every day that are like industry and uh, is it's tough and and we're not the only music is not the only one mind you that is having a problem adapting and how quick to do that because in a lot of ways the formula is just like anything else there is always a portion of any industry that would much rather stay with the status quo uh because progressing past the status quo uh means maybe some sort of uh, unfavorable realities for them right yeah. uh so the hard thing is i think it depends on the you know the sense of business and success it's going to change and i think the people that are and i try and uh, it truthfully it's much easier when you're younger for sure but i try to wake up every day and say you know what i'm willing to adapt if it's something that interests me, that keeps me curious. And uh, I hope that the rest of the industry can do that collectively. And I think it will, if for nothing else out of just survival, there's, you know, um, because people, it's a, it's a industry that is driven by emotional behavior, you know, and emotion and the emotional response of it. Um, it is art, but it is also interaction and entertainment, which, Again, there's always a way to elicit a reaction. Uh, the way that it's monetized will just change. So you think that part will change, but it sounds like you're hopeful because music is culture and culture is music and that's human nature. And as long as we have that, there will be some way to make profit off of, off of all this. I'm a firm believer that, and this is maybe forged out of what we've seen uh, with Wonder Years. And like I said, going back to how lucky we are to have such passionate fans and people who I feel like would would do anything and drop anything. I mean, if a global pandemic doesn't tell you where you're at with your fans, then nothing will in a yeah. way. Yeah. And they showed up, man, and they kept us going and they were right there so with cool. us and suffering with us and, you know, longing, but also supporting, you know, coming to the live streams, doing it and making sure that us and a lot of our friends stayed afloat and and tried their best and people that worked in venue in the service industry everybody it's like seeing that outpouring uh it really makes you think about um and this is another thing that when um we didn't really talk about this but when i get to um you know when i talk about and like kind of like doing some like artist coaching and how to like develop uh your your career but also from you know from a business standpoint and and put it on sound um, sound footing and really understand yourself as an artist and identity, but then also how to like monetize that and stay organized and, and develop a plan, which is really important too. The biggest thing I say is like, 
if you develop a relationship with people, even if it's not a lot, it's the, you know, a lot of in our industry, a lot of people talk about it as the like thousand fans rule, right? Um, where you don't need a hundred thousand people streaming your music, you know, your song once a day. If you have a thousand people that are willing to give you like, you know, a hundred bucks a year, you have a career. That's right. And it's it's just about that passion. And and I think there are still people out there making that music and there are people that need that, that need those stories, that need that connection. And the ones that are able to figure out how that connection changes and is delivered and what that looks like 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whether it's the next, what comes after NFTs or if it's, you know what I mean? Like people will still continue to show up if the music is good enough and what the people making the music are affecting them and the stories that they're telling are, are getting through. So I, I just think it's, there's no way that it can't because it's at its core based off an industry based off emotion and feeling, you know? Gotcha. And as for some of that mentorship stuff you do, Casey, um, Jay Moss, one of the guys I manage, he, he does some of that as well. Uh, and he finds it not just lucrative, but he finds it insanely rewarding. And he's built a really cool community of people that have done that. Where can people find that? Like where, where can people seek you out for that? Yeah. So it's interesting. And I, I, I only do as much and um, as I can do. And now that we're kind of getting back into touring and um, it ebbs and flows. So, you know, I, I did a lot of that through the studio with myself and some of my partners. So you can find that either via my website at caseycavalier.com or uh, the studio website at truelevelstudio.com. Com. Okay. And uh, there's a link for artist development coaching where it's, you know, kind of one on one sessions. Great. There's also a couple other things that that might change in the next three to six months, honestly, you know, where I can try to serve not only more people, but the, you know, the artist and and the way that I'm going about it in an even better, bigger, broader way. That's rad. You know, that, I, that I'm actually extremely excited about, but maybe more on that to come a, as it goes. But yes, for now, that was a thing that, you know, I, I started, I, tried to take on independently because I saw the value in it with, uh, you know, the bands and, and artists that I worked with out of my studio early on. And uh, I think we're we're only forging further and further into a world where a lot of artists are seeing the writing on the walls that they are empowered and asking the questions, why do uh, I have the idea of signing to a label as the metric of success and the carrot in front of me? Should it end there? Does it have to go there? What's right? And and kind of trying to ask a lot of those questions and putting together a more sound framework and understanding of where they're at and what they can do to build a career independently if they want it and why that might, you know, what's what's best for what they're trying to accomplish. So yeah, that, cool. and, and I, I, so I know Jay's doing that and he's uh, su- like probably a great person to do that. I would probably love and, and, and just love to chat his ear off about that. And I'm sure I would, um, have a blast and yeah, yeah. it's like, that's what I've realized is, Hey, I might not have all the answers, but I, I know what I do know and have a mass. And it turns out to be hopefully maybe, uh, you know, valuable to a lot of people. Well, it's all the same. It's all producing. You're either producing a, a a sound, an idea, or you're producing a person. You're producing their their career or the the pursuit they have. And I think people like you and Jay and and the like, uh, dude. I you know I was just thinking about this as you were talking. I how cool that would be if I were a young guy, say eighteen, nineteen, twenty, or even younger, and someone from a band that I loved. I could get access to them for one. We'll just start there. You couldn't even get access to guy in Deftones or Tool or whatever. You just couldn't. <laughs> and let's 
let's start there. So now you can get access to them. You can find them online. You can just hit a, a button and send them a message and they might respond. And then from there, these guys are offering a service that I can do. Like, that's just amazing. What an amazing time. So I hope people out there that feel maybe like this is a tough road. It is. Um, we won't lie. Being, being successful in music or entrepreneurship or starting your business, it's going to be tough. But man, what a time to do it. I mean, I, I would argue it's the, it's the best time to do it, even after a pandemic. Yeah. There's no excuses, man. Just get out there and, and meet people and, and drop people like you align. I totally encourage that because, I mean, the Gretzky, you miss, a, you know, 100% of the shots you don't take, right? But like for people like me and like Jay, it's like I think ultimately, and again, just like producing is not for everybody that was ever in a band or was ever a songwriter and, you know, the the coaching end of it that has not been a thing that I set out to I did not like go to school to be a teacher right um so you you learn as you go and you pivot but the biggest thing is not being afraid to dive in and course correct as you go uh which has been a huge thing for me I've learned a lot about myself learned a lot about my process learned ways that I can that's even informed the way I like produce and interact with remote clients as well and some of them have become production clients as well. You know what I mean? That I that I work with um, on material uh, remotely. You know what I mean? Whether it be from here in like Budapest, in you know the UK, Japan, California. Like it's it is that time. And so many people that I know and respect that are creatives that are also either producing or doing remote session work. The same thing. They're just like. Yeah, no, I'm I switched from one call, you know, with someone here and then switched three time zones to someone there, you know, and so there are no limitations to it. It's just about doing it, building it and, uh, you know, ultimately doing something that feels authentic and doing it for the right reasons. And that's the thing, too, where I, I kind of fell into coaching because of questions that were asked to me. But, uh, you know. And that I, you know, sometimes had the answer to or an answer to not necessarily a definite, but ultimately I, I wanted to give an honest and candid answer because I know how the Internet, both a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways, there's everything out there, but then there's also everything else out there and it can be a horrifying place to navigate as an independent artist and with so much clickbait and a lot of like very like snake oil salesman e like I akin it to I had a conversation with like it's the classic like our band came up in the MySpace era and it is the hey here's a way to get like you know a thousand plays a day on your song to make labels think that you know whatever I remember it's like, it. yeah. there's all that just the modern iteration of it right um and TikTok so i was like man i don't all of these people that are genuine that we just spent time in the trenches making this music and trying to really build it up the last thing i want is for any of them to go and you know fall victim to any of that but also it's just like, I might not have the answer, but I can certainly tell you that this thing that you're looking at is not, is, is also probably not the answer, you know? Um, and so that's just as valuable sometimes. So anytime I could give a candid look, I was like, Hey, for whatever it's worth for whoever it, you know, it's, it's meaningful. At least I can put that out there and be a resource to those, uh, and show up because I was lucky enough that when I was young, people showed up and one or two people that I looked up to cared and gave a shit. And that was enough to give me, um, the belief in myself 
to keep going and keep pushing it, you know? So Love that's, it. that's it. kind of where the extension of that goes in terms of, you know, everything that I have going on right now. But yeah, um, it's, uh, it's a learning process for me too. It's, and it's awesome, you know, so I, I wouldn't be doing it if I wasn't enjoying it. Well, cool, man. We, uh, we're about wrapping up here as we start uh, winding her down. I have one last official question for you, Casey, and this is another big one, but generally speaking, and obviously if you want more of Casey's time and more of his expert advice, drop him a line if either for mentorship or maybe he can produce a song or mix a song. What's sort of uh, some advice to people, young bands, young producers or people just starting out that are trying to make their way? I think first and foremost, the idea that more than anything else in talking about this industry and music business as a whole, your music and your songs first and foremost will be your calling card, right? So that's what's ultimately going to open the doors for you and or how people are going to find you and reach back out and what's going to grab attention most likely, right? It, with the exception of, sure, people are going uh, in the back door and and this is, again, adapting with the times. Sure, you figure out how to engage with an audience and entertain people as a TikTok star and then do the career. Now, there's plenty of people that can hate on that. Me, I say, hey, they figured out one really important component component that a lot of musicians never do across an entire career. And then they just did that. So why would we why would you hate on that if they're able to just do it the other way and both are still, you know, still good, right? So but for all that being said, generally speaking, your craft and figuring out you as an artist, what your strengths and weaknesses are, right? And for most people, that means putting forth a lot of time, energy into the material and refining it, right? So my biggest thing would be don't hold on to it because I spent probably 20 years of my life pre this point and still to this day, you know, I, I battle with it. And as a creative, if you're someone that's writing songs, you'll battle with it in until you cease to be. You will only grow if you start letting that work go and start getting feedback on it. So my my overall advice would be find somebody that you trust, find somebody, maybe it's one of the guys, um, you know, that you rep, maybe it's myself, maybe it's a friend, right? Maybe it's someone as simple as a bandmate, maybe it's a little bit further and let that idea go. If you have a song and you're unsure and you keep going back to it, hey, you could go and tweak that a thousand times, but what if you showed it to somebody else and the and the one thing that they said was, in no way on your radar. Yeah. Go get that feedback. Go get that information as quick as you can, as early yes. as you can, because that's the way that you're going to grow. And I think that's a testament to what a lot of the younger generation right now is doing with music in the SoundCloud world and things like that. They are creating and shipping, creating and shipping, and they are getting instant feedback, response and engagement. They are effectively doing what a lot of comedians do, and which is writing on stage. They are workshopping their jokes in real time. And that and and bridging that gap and punching through that wall and not being afraid to do that is huge. So try to work on that skill. And whether it's, I don't know, send me an email, send me a DM. I'll, I'll respond back to you and say, hey, I'll listen to this song. Sure. And I'll also, sure, I'm not going to try to be an asshole about it, but I'll I'll be, you know, I, I, I would want someone in that capacity to give me real feedback, even if it was, hey, it sounds like the vocals need work. Yeah. You know, or it's a, it's a cool song. Uh, I think the mix is a little 
a little off, you know, leaves a little to be desired, but they might never know that. And now they have another mark on something to improve on. Take it or leave it. They have some input. So ship the work, let it go. Don't hold on to it and try and make it perfect because perfection is pretty much the death blow to, to art or growth. Right. Um, so that would be my one thing is just if you're, there's going to be a lot of bad work. There was so much bad wonder years work. (laughs) Some of it saw the light of day. Some of it didn't thankfully like get it out there, get it done, get it off your plate, finish the things and learn. And if you need to find someone that will continue to motivate you and hold you accountable to finish it. Cause sometimes that's also uh, truthfully, like in a lot of ways, that's what a, a producer in this like new modern world can also do. It can be someone on the other end that's waiting for something. Right. And sometimes that's all you need. It's like the personal trainer mentality. People will pay a lot of money for someone to just wait there at the gym and expect them to show up because they will do that and they know they need that. And in the same way, sometimes that's what you need is you need a partner. If you have a band, you have other bandmates that are going to be pissed if you don't show up, you know, but, um, I love it. Chip the work and do it. Yeah, man, that would, that would be my, that would be my thought for sure. That's really, really good advice. And I, and I'll add to that for what it's worth. Cause I think this is part of what I hear you saying and this shouldn't be a surprise to everyone, but it's worth mentioning. You can't do it alone. Music is not an art form meant to be done alone. Yeah, I don't. You can be a solo artist, but even a solo songwriter, solo artist, they're not doing this alone. And you're missing the mark entirely if you're if you're trying to hold this precious to yourself, not share it with anyone, not build a team. And like Casey said, you you got to get it out there and. and you will have better ideas. You're going to have more ideas down the road. So finish up what you're doing. Let people hear it. Get it out the door. Move on. Right. And you know what? And th- I, I kind of think about it this way sometimes too. And bre- uh, breaking down the whole idea of what I said I may- maybe early on in this conversation, I think, which is the whole point of art is to elicit a reaction. Art is not actually art or finished until it finds an audience, right? That's and right. until it does what it does to and what it's going to do, good, bad, ugly to an artist until there's a reaction. It's not real. You know, an idea in your head could be the most incredible idea, but if it never comes out and gets displayed to someone and to have them react to it in some way, then it it doesn't really matter. You know, it's like, and, and I used to think, oh man, I have so much potential, so many good ideas, but I'm afraid to get them out onto paper because then when I start putting them on paper, they they lose their luster or it gets hard because I'm, you know, it doesn't capture the story the way I want to with lyrics. I know a lot of people writing lyrics feel the same way, right? It is an arduous process, but that is the the point where that's the work. If you're showing up doing that work, then if you get it to a point where you can let it go, or can pull in other people to help refine it and get it the rest of the way there, then it will actually meet its audience and actually serve a purpose and actually, you know, create a reaction and a, and a movement and, and send things out into the universe. So, yeah, I mean, that is, uh, you know, sometimes easier said than done, but the point is don't be afraid to ask for help. And if you know that you're holding on to things like that, then figure out why and reach out to someone to, get past that hurdle at the very least because you're never going to get any further until you get past that hurdle so i i love both of those those words of advice okay last non-music business really question 
Uh, what's something that you're into that most people just don't know? Like what's a normal Casey, the guy Casey that you, that you do with your girlfriend that she knows about you? What, what are you into? Oh, even though I am in many ways an extroverted introvert. Uh, so there's there's most things on there. People probably know I'm a cat guy if they follow me on on Instagram. Um, what is that? What does that mean? I, we've got two cats. Oh, cat, cat guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, me too. We have three cats. I don't have any kids. I have three cats obsessed oh yeah big cat guy yeah i love it um one of them's the sweetest thing in the world the other one has a bit of an off and on switch and is kind of a killer and has tried to attack my guitar tech on multiple points and has a we used to have a cat like that her name was minerva and she was our little guard cat she she'd she'd bleed you up man yeah she'd fuck you up and yeah full disclosure right now i'm gonna get off this podcast and actually go feed a stray kitten that is probably like three weeks old that we found out under the porch yesterday that we are now like fostering until we can find a home so also for you hopefully by the time this airs we won't need this but if you are somewhere in the atlanta area and looking to adopt a kitten we have a beautiful all black one that we have affectionately named kike because my girlfriend is a rabid red Sox fan so nice <laughs> I, i'm a huge baseball fan i, I have a angel or a uh, a little baseball guy tattooed in my arm here well we could go on a tangent about how i um initially having a boston sports fan uh in my life was a little bit uh, troubling when we were in Philadelphia. My bad. Uh, but now, honestly, kind of great because postseason, even when the Phillies don't make the playoffs, I've got a team in there, you know? Hey, at least you have a team that sometimes wins. My, my favorite team is the Angels because I grew up in Orange County and that's like my family's team. So Angels never win, ever. <laughs> Hey, people said that about the Cubs, you know, um, not to get too baseball tangential, but I love that. You got to love you got to love who you love and you learn a lot about yourself. It all comes, dude, it all comes back to like family, community and tribe. Totally. Even honestly, losing as an Eagles fan is a bond that will oh, never yeah. break oh, in yeah. its own way, you know, and the same goes for every other sports franchise. So as much as we could get into a whole rabbit hole of like consumerism and capitalism and whatever, it's just like also just like sometimes it's just people being nice to other people that's right man life is hard okay well um dude i appreciate the time i think we covered a lot i think we got a lot of value to the people listening where can people find you yeah, absolutely. And they can find me. Uh, I'm on Instagram uh, poking around a lot at uh, I think it's case underscore rock or my website, which is caseycavalier.com. And uh, you can find the studio uh, at truelevelstudio.com and coming very soon. Well, uh, you can find this right now, actually. Um, but we are getting ready to ramp up uh, into a new phase and new season of uh, the podcast that yes. myself and my studio partners put together, which is called The Record Process, which dives into a lot of, you know, some of which we've we've covered and discussed to today. But uh, a lot of the like behind the scenes, like um, step by step flow and creative process of putting records together and and mining that kind kind of creativity as a musician, producer, engineer. So, um, but there's a, a whole new season in the works and plans that, that we're, we're super excited about. So stay well, tuned for that and go ahead and follow us on there at the record process. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so totally excited about that, Casey. And as you and I spoke off air, A, 
I would love to have some of the guys I manage on the show with your permission. Of course. And if you want a producer manager on, I would love to come on and, and bother your audience and bore them with what it's like to manage producers. Because most people don't really know. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get all we'll get all the good dirt and we'll we'll pick a release from each one of them and do a rapid fire and see how much you know and what and your stories of behind each one of those records. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. See what you're you'd be like, hey, everybody loves this record. It was a nice nightmare via email figuring it out <laughs> like yeah. you know this guy from this label sucks at paying deposits right. yeah i'm <laughs> sure that wouldn't upset anybody no, behind the man. scenes yeah let's do a tell all <laughs> yeah dude um yeah no thanks james i appreciate it man uh w- would love to have all of them on well thanks so much for being on the stateside podcast casey i appreciate it no oh, brilliant thanks for having me man Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.